We've chosen some topics that I've submitted to the brethren here that they have selected that we think will be helpful for this kind of uh, gospel meeting going through Wednesday. And it has to do with why we believe what we believe and why we practice what we practice. Uh, we'll get to what we'll talk about this morning at this hour in just a moment, but to kind of give you a sampling, you've already seen the announcements, we'll mention this each time I'm before you. At the next hour, we'll talk about why we believe Jesus was raised from the dead. And then this evening, we'll talk about why we believe baptism to be essential. And then on Monday, why we believe miracles have ceased. And Tuesday, why we believe hell is real and eternal. And then Wednesday, why we believe, do not believe, once saved, always saved. That's part of a more extended series. That's just a sampling of, of uh, what we could talk about and perhaps we do need to talk about. Let's begin by looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 15. This is a familiar text to us all. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I want you to look at this word defense. It is the word from which we get our word apology. You don't normally in conversation use the word apology in this sense. This is not talking about saying you're sorry for something, but it means simply an answer or a defense. Always be ready to give an answer, an apology, for why you believe what you believe. In other words, the truth is a defense against questions and issues that are raised. So when issues arise in the religious world, the truth is the answer to that. When questions are asked, why do you believe what you believe? The truth is the answer for that, and that's what we're seeking to do. We as Christians need to know why we believe what we believe. Why do we believe baptism is essential? Why do we believe Jesus was raised from the dead? Why do we believe the Bible is inspired? Why do we believe whatever it is that we believe or teach, and why do we practice what we practice? So we as the people of God need to prepare ourselves to give an answer to the question of why. And people will ask you, well, why do you not use instrumental music? Or why do you have the Lord's Supper every Sunday? Or why do you teach X, Y, Z, whatever that may be? We need to prepare ourselves to give an answer. So that's what we're going to be doing all through this series of meetings, both services this morning, this evening, and Monday through Wednesday. We're trying to answer the question of why. This is a series of fundamental first principle kind of studies. Why do we believe what we believe? And why do we practice what we practice? And why are there things that we don't believe and we don't practice? Why is that the case? So for this hour, let's start with what I think is one of the most fundamental principles, and that is why we believe it makes a difference what one believes in religion. Why we believe it makes a difference what one believes in religion. Let's start with this, that this is a very popular concept. What do we mean a very popular concept? It's a very popular concept that says it makes no difference what you believe in religion. You'll hear someone say something like, faith alone is all that really matters. Just believe in the Lord, and what that says is it makes no difference what else you may believe or practice as long as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another way of wording that is sincerity is all that really matters. It's as long as you're sincere, God doesn't care what you believe or what you practice. Or it doesn't make any difference what one believes. I hear that quite frequently. I don't think it makes a difference what you believe. You believe you're, you have your faith, I have my faith kind of thing. 
Or someone may say, join the church of your choice. In other words, you find the church that you like. Don't worry about whether it fits the scriptures, just what you like, and the church of your choice is just fine. Or someone else may say, one faith is just as good as another faith. You see, your faith believes it, but my faith is different, and so just join the church of your choice or one faith is as good as another. Or people will equate good moral people with being Christians. I hear those who are the people of God use that phrase in that sense. And what I mean by that is they'll talk about their neighbors are good Christian people. What they mean is they're good moral people. They haven't obeyed the gospel. They may not go to church. They may not even make claims of believing in Christ, but they have good morals about them, and they're supposed to be good Christian people. I want to suggest to you this concept that it makes no difference what you believe is one of the greatest obstacles, if not the greatest obstacle, to teaching others the truth. Here's how that works. Here is a couple we'd like to teach the gospel to. Maybe your neighbor, maybe your friend, maybe it's a relative of yours. And we'd like to take the gospel and we'd like to teach it to them, but they hold to this concept, it does not make a difference what you believe, and that serves as a barrier between them and the gospel, so the gospel can't get through that. How does that work? Well, you see, there's no need to study the questions and the issues of the day of, re of religion. And you say to them, you know, I'd like to sit down and study with you about whether baptism is essential. You see, there's no need to study that because it makes no difference what you believe. You say, I'd like to study with you about the organization of the church and whether the church where you go is fitting the scriptures. There's no need to study that. Well, why? Because there is, makes no difference what you believe. Makes no difference. God doesn't care what you believe as long as you're sincere. So the issues that divide us in the religious world are trivial since it makes no difference. You know, why do you want to spend your will studying over whether instrumental music is scriptural or whether or not miracles have ceased? It makes no difference about any of that, is the idea. They're made to feel comfortable in their religion, even though you can show them that it doesn't really fit the scriptures. And they may see it doesn't fit the scriptures, but they feel comfortable anyway. And furthermore, you invite them to come to this meeting? There's no need in that because they already have a church. How many times have you invited someone and, oh, well, I appreciate the invitation, but you see, I go to, and they name the church where they go. As if to say, I already have a church, I don't need to investigate anything else. That's like trying to sell a vacuum cleaner to someone who's already got a brand new one. I don't need another one. I don't need another church. I don't need to investigate another one. I already have a church, and one is just as good as the other. Now listen to me carefully as I suggest. That is one of the devil's most effective tools. Because if he can convince people it makes no difference what you believe in religion, then the gospel is not going to penetrate through that barrier. So we've got to do what we can to remove that barrier. So let's answer the question, why we believe it makes a difference what one believes in religion. Why do we believe that? Well, here's the first. First of all, there is such a thing as an objective standard in religion. There is such a thing as an objective standard in religion. Now let's define what we're talking about. Let's talk about an objective standard versus the subjective standard. My subjective standard, that's something that varies from person to person. 
For example, someone may say, you know what, here's how I feel. Well, see, that varies from what someone else feels. Someone else comes along and talks about how, well, I think, well, that differs from what your neighbor thinks, you see. That's subjective. Or someone says, well, in my family, we always, well, that differs from what your family may have always done or believed or practiced. And someone says, you know what my preacher said, well, that differs from what their preacher said. That's a subjective standard. Or someone said, I have a book, that, and it said in the book, well, that differs from what I've got in a book that I have. Those are all subjective standards. An objective standard is a fixed standard that is the same for everyone. Now, is there an objective standard in religion? Well, I want to tell you that the Word of God, the Bible, the inspired Word of God, is that objective standard. Now, let's look at some passages that deal with that. For example, and I'm going to run from one to the other. I'm trying to just get before you the evidence and not analyze each one of these in detail. We'll analyze some passages more in detail later. But let's start with 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 13. Paul said, according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. What Paul did is appeal to that which is written of God as being a standard. So there is that which is written of God. Peter would say, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So there is such a thing as the sayings of God, the oracles of God. And if there is the sayings of God, there is your objective standard. It's the same as that which is written. Paul said, the things which I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. That tells me there are some things that are not the commandments of the Lord, but these are. There is your objective standard. Paul would say to the church at Thessalonica that when he preached to them, they welcomed the message, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. There is such a thing as the word of God. Not everything is the word of God. Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, that all scripture is inspired of God. So there is the inspired scriptures. Same thing as the word of God. It's the same thing as the oracles of God and on down the line. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he would talk about the words that have been chosen by the Holy Spirit. So there are words that were not chosen by the Holy Spirit, but these words that have been revealed and have been written down were chosen by the Holy Spirit. Now, all of that suggests that indeed we have a fixed or an objective standard. Not subjective that varies from person to person, but there is this fixed standard. Now, if there is a fixed or an objective standard, the conclusion is that it makes a difference what we believe in religion. Now, let's come from the other side. If it makes a difference what we believe, there must be some kind of fixed or objective standard. Now, let's illustrate. Let's suppose you're building a new house. And while I'm here, I say, well, I'll tell you what, I'll help you wire the house. And you say, do you know anything about wiring the house? And I said, well, you know what? It doesn't make any difference how you wire the house as long as the plugs work and the lights come on. Now, does it make any difference how you wire the house? Well, someone may say, you know what? I think and I feel like the wires ought to be run this way. And I think this size gauge wire would work for the dryer, but I don't think you need as big as what you think you need. We see, that's a subjective standard, isn't it? And here's someone else says, well, no, I know an electrician who ran his this way. And he said, that's okay. And I say, you know what? I know an electrician too. And he said, that won't work. 
See, we're using the subjective standards. And someone else says, well, I'll tell you how my dad wired his house. And that house is 50 years old. My dad did this, and it worked fine for him. And if that's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. See, that's a subjective standard because my dad did it different than your dad. And someone else comes along and said, well, you see, my neighbor did his this way, and he passed inspection, so I think it'll work for me. All of those are subjective standards because they vary from person to person. There is no, no standard we're going by. And so, Glenn may tell you, I'll tell you what, if you're going to get that preacher to help you, you might ought to know this. You might ought to know there is such a thing as an objective standard. There is a National Electric Code book that is the standard for all to follow. Now, here's the point. If there is a standard to follow, that means it makes a difference how you wire the house, doesn't it? Let's come from the other direction. If it makes a difference, there has to be an objective standard, doesn't it? We're not going by your electrician. We're not going by my dad or how I feel or what I think. We're going to go by the standard. If there is an objective standard, it makes a difference. Same thing is true in religion. Here's our second point. Not only is there an objective standard, but let's understand the Bible teaches there is one faith. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, if you will, and begin at verse 4. And I want us to see the Bible speaks of one faith, not of faith, plural. Let's see what the text says. The text says there is one body and one spirit, just as you're called, and one hope of your calling. Now notice verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now what did I learn from that text? The text says there is one faith. Now let's go a step further. Let's understand that one faith means only one faith. You say it didn't say only one faith, it said one faith. But does one faith mean only one faith? Well let's go back to that same text and let's look at some things in verse 4, then verse 5, then verse 6. Let's take verse 4. Verse 4 says there is one spirit. Does that mean there's only one spirit or does that mean there are many different spirits? All acceptable unto God. You say, well, that only means there's one. That means there's only one. All right, let's take verse 5. Verse 5 says there's one Lord. Does that mean there are many lords or does that mean there's only one Lord? You say, well, that means only one Lord. All right, let's take verse 6. It says there's one God. Does that mean there are many gods or does that mean there's only one God? Well, that means there's only one God. So likewise, one faith means not many faiths, but there's only one faith. If there's only one faith, there is no such thing as my faith versus your faith and talking about different faiths. Quite often, religious people get together and someone will praise the fact, isn't it great that people of different faiths can come together? See, we all have different faiths, they think. One faith is as good as another. If it makes no difference what you believe. The Bible says there is one faith. But let's go further. Let's consider thirdly now, I've considered there is an objective standard. There is one faith. Let's consider it's possible to believe a lie and be lost. If it makes a difference what you believe, then it's possible to believe a lie and be lost. But if it makes no difference what you believe in religion, then it is not possible to believe a lie and be lost. 
If one faith is as good as another, it's not possible to believe a lie and be lost because the lie is just as good as anything else. So let's open our Bibles to a familiar story to us all in 1 Kings chapter 13. And I want us to develop a thought from 1 Kings chapter 13. Since this series is focusing on why we believe what we believe, if you're not familiar with 1 Kings 13 and how you can effectively use that in talking to your friend and neighbor, I'd encourage you to pay close attention and map some things out in the text. The kingdom has just divided, and we have a case where idolatry has been set up. And now I want you to notice that in chapter 13, there is a man of God whom we call a young prophet. We do not find where he's ever called the young prophet in the text. But the reason we call him a young prophet is because in contrast, there was a man there was an old prophet. That's why we call him the young prophet. But let's see what happens in this context. So let's talk about 1 Kings chapter 13. The young prophet, beginning at verse 2, came and cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord, the text says. He's proclaiming the word of the Lord. As he preached and he cried out, he said that the altar would be split. Notice that in verse 4, Jeroboam reached out his hand and said, arrest him. He didn't like what he was saying. And his hand withered, the text says. And he implored the man of God to have his hand restored, and it was. In fact, we'll not take the time, but there are three signs to demonstrate that indeed this man is a man of God, and he's speaking by the man of God, but that was just one of the three. Now, I want you to notice in verse 8 now that Jeroboam said to him, if you, uh, he said in verse 7, come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. The man of God said he couldn't do that, so now notice verse 9. Why can't you do that? Because it was commanded me by the word of the Lord. You might mark verse 9. That you shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. Now pay attention now. Three simple rules. Do not eat bread, do not drink water, and do not return by the same way you came. I know he understands it. You say, how do you know? Because God had explained it to him, and he understood it well enough, he turns around and explains it back to Jeroboam. Three simple rules. Do not eat bread, do not drink water, and do not return by the same way you came. Quite simple, isn't it? And that was the truth. There was an old prophet there, verse 11 says. His sons had told him about the signs and the wonders that had been done, and he asked which way the man of God went, the young prophet went. And they told him, and he saddled up and went after him. And when he found him, he said at verse 15, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor go with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water in this place. Now verse 17, here we go again. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water nor return by the same way you came. I know he understands it. God had explained it to him. He is able to explain it to Jeroboam. And he explains it in the very same words to the old prophet. I have three simple rules. Do not eat bread, do not drink water, do not return by the same way you came. Now let's go further. The old prophet said to him, I too, verse 18, am a prophet as you are, and an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, that is the claim, saying, bring him back to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. Now here was the lie. The lie was, bring him back to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. I know it was a lie for two reasons. The most obvious is, the text says, but he lied to him. That's pretty simple, isn't it? The second is, it is the exact opposite of the truth. 
You see, the truth said, do not eat bread. Eat bread. That's the opposite. Do not drink water. Drink water. That's the exact opposite. Do not return. Bring him back to your house. It is the exact opposite of the truth. So I know it was a lie. And besides that, the text says, but he lied to him. Now the question is, does it make any difference which one this young prophet believes? That he believes what he understood the Lord had told him, or here is a prophet that's lying to him, does it make any difference if he believes that? Let's go further. Let's look at verse 19. So he went back with him, and he ate bread in his house, and he drank water. He fell for the lie. Make any difference about that? Without reading the rest of the story, you remember how God caused a lion to come forth and to slay him? The old prophet, when he learned of that, said it was the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. Did it make a difference which one of those he believed? It did make a difference. He was disobedient because he believed a lie. Does it make a difference what we believe in religion? And this text illustrates clearly it does make a difference when we're being deceived, when we have the clear revelation of God, and yet someone lies to us and they deceive us and they mislead us, that there is that responsibility and we pay the price for it. But let's go further. I encourage you, if you don't have another passage you're going to turn to with me, Turn to this one, please, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. We'll take time to read that passage more than once. Let's read it now, and then I want to come back and reread it after we get some information from it. Look at verse 10. With all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this reason, God would send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Now that's verses 10, 11, and 12. I want you to notice that there is a contrast between a lie and the truth. The lie under consideration is not any lie that someone tells you. Someone lies about their age. They lie about how much money they have. That's not the lie that we're talking about here because the truth is not anything that's true, like their correct age, but this is the gospel truth. This is the revelation of God. So the lie is anything in contrast to the revelation of God, like we saw in 1 Kings 13, by the way. Now let's see what happens in this context. This text tells me, on the one side, what happens to those, here's what happens with those who uh, believe the lie, and the consequence of that. And here's what's happening with those who believe the truth and what happens to them. Let's see. Look at verse 10. They're going to be deceived. All unrighteous deception, he said. They're going to not love the truth. Verse 10. They're going to be deluded. Verse 11. Verse 11 also said they would believe a lie. And verse 12 said they do not believe the truth. And verse 12 says they have pleasure in unrighteousness. Now what's the consequence of that? Verse 10 says they perish. Verse 12 says they are condemned. Now what about on the other side? Here are those, verse 10, who love the truth. They believe the truth. Verse 12, what's the consequence? They might be saved. Now let's see. Let's go back and read our text and let's follow these points and see that Every one of these is found in our text. Let's start with verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception 
among those who perish because they did not receive a love of the truth that they might be saved. All right, now that's verse 10. Let's get verse 11. For this reason, God would send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That's verse 11. Now verse 12, that they might all be condemned who do not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Every point on the screen is found in our text, isn't it? Now here are some who are deceived, they are deluded, they believe a lie, they do not believe the truth, the consequence is they're perishing and they are condemned. What about those who believe and love the truth? They're saved. Notice this carefully. Not only am I seeing that it makes a difference what you believe, I'm seeing the difference that it makes. See the point? Somebody said it doesn't make any difference. Oh yeah, it does make a difference. But it's not just a slight difference. It's a big difference. It's a difference in perishing or being saved. It's a difference in going to hell and going to heaven. Does it make a difference what you believe? There is an objective standard. There is one faith. And furthermore, it's possible to believe a lie and be lost. But let's go further. Let's consider another point. And that is that one can be religious and at the same time they can be wrong. If that's true, it makes a difference what you believe in religion, doesn't it? But someone says, no, 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 I don't think it makes any difference. It, it doesn't make any difference what you believe. All right, if that's the case, let's just buy that for a moment. Then there's no such thing as being religious and being wrong. If you're religious, you're right, no matter what your religion may be. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, the extreme, it's okay. Because the, the first one you name as being wrong, then it does make a difference, doesn't it? So all of them have to be okay, no matter how extreme it may be. So can we show from the Bible it's possible to be religious and at the same time be wrong? Well, let's go back to the book of Genesis, if you will. And let's go to Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. And I want you to see that Cain's offering was not acceptable unto God. Here was a man who was religious, attempting to serve the one true and living God, but his sacrifice was not acceptable unto God. Here's the text, beginning at verse 3. Genesis 4, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but the Lord did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance well, all right, let's see what we have. We have a case here where Cain and Abel both bought an offering. Both are attempting to serve God. Both are bringing their offering before God. Both are bringing a sacrifice before God. Their sacrifices and their offerings are different. One brings, Cain brings the fruit of the ground. Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock. The text says the Lord respected Abel's offering. The text we just read said the Lord did not respect Cain's offering. Was that arbitrary? Did God just say, any, many, my, I like this one and I don't like that one? Is that what God did? Was God being respecter of persons? I think I like Abel, but I don't like Cain. Why is it that the Lord respected one sacrifice, but did not respect the other sacrifice? Let's find a divine commentary. 
The Bible is its own best commentary, so let's find a commentary that can help us to understand that. And so let's go over to the book of Hebrews now in chapter 11 and in verse 4. You hold in your hand, if you have a Bible in your hand, the best commentary you can buy. This is the best commentary. The Bible comments on itself. Hebrews 11 and 4 says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. What was the difference? The text says that Abel offered by faith his sacrifice. What does that mean? That means that Cain's was not by faith. Does that mean that Cain, Abel over here said, I believe mine's acceptable, and that's why God accepted it. And Cain over here says, I don't think God's going to accept mine. That's not the point. What is faith? And how do we get faith? Romans 10, 17 gives us an insight. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, the text says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That means that Abel offered a sacrifice according to the word of God and Cain offered a sacrifice that was not according to the word of God. But regardless of what it means to do it by faith, we have an example of one being religious and his sacrifice not being acceptable unto God. God rejected that and it demonstrates our point. It's possible to be religious and at the same time be wrong. Therefore, it makes a difference what we believe in religion. Let's go again. In the Old Testament, this time to Leviticus chapter 10. Let's talk about Nadab and Abihu. Who were they? They were sons of Aaron. And they made a sacrifice and an offering to God that did not please God. Let's see what we find in Leviticus 10 verses 1 and 2. Then Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord. Now let's talk about that profane fire before we go further. The New International translates that an unauthorized fire. Your translation may say something very similar to that. It was a profane fire, in other words, an unauthorized fire. God did not authorize it. I know that's right, because the text says, which he had not commanded them. So they're offering a sacrifice Call it profane, call it unauthorized, but the text specifically said God had not commanded them to do that. Does it make any difference? Make any difference about that? They were being religious. Were they wrong in that? Look at verse 2. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. But what am I learning from the text? I'm learning that it makes a difference what you believe because it's possible to be religious and at the same time be wrong. But let's go to a New Testament passage. This one is not on the screen, but let's go to Matthew chapter 7. If I can show, and I'm just methodically working and threading this as if I were sitting across a table having a home Bible study, this is what I would do if I was sitting and having a Bible study with someone, showing them that it makes a difference what you believe in religion. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. In the Sermon on the Mount, look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that's religious. They're crying out saying, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now that's enough. We're going to say more from this context. But that establishes our point. 
I'm trying to show he can be religious. Lord, Lord is being religious. Lord, Lord has some kind of faith. It may be a dead faith, but it's some kind of faith. It may be an inactive faith, but it's some kind of faith. But he's not obedient to the will of the Lord. And he's wrong. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied? Here's a, a judgment scene. And some are going to argue with the Lord and say, Lord, we prophesied. That's religious. And we cast out demons in your name. That's religious. And we've done many wonders in your name. In other words, we were doing what we thought was right or what we wanted to do. Regardless, they, they were religious. Look at verse 23. I will declare to them... I never knew, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. You're doing that which is like Nadab and Abihu, which is unauthorized. And therefore God rejected them. And on we could go with examples of that. The devils believed and trembled. There's some form of religion there. There were those in John 8 who believed on Christ. And yet they were said in verse 44 to be children of the devil. All right, let's go further. We're trying to answer the question, why we believe it makes a difference what one believes in religion. Now we're going to come back and tie all this together in a moment, but let's go, last of all, and talk about some absurd consequences. Some absurd consequences. Now what do we mean by con uh, absurd consequences? Let's just forget religion for a moment. Let's back away. In any position you take, it may be in a secular issue, it may be a political issue, when, when you lock in and you take this position and this is what you say you believe to be right, there are consequences that go with that. And if I'm going to buy into this position, then that means I need to accept the consequences that go with it. So I'm convinced that's wrong, then I come over here and I, I take this position and this is what I believe. Again, let's just forget religion. This may be a political issue, it may be a secular issue, maybe a medical issue and this is the position that I take, then I need to buy the consequences that go in with that as well. The same thing is true in religion. Whatever I may believe, I need to buy the consequence. For example, if I believe Jesus is the Son of God, He's deity, then I must accept the consequence that whatever He says is true. But if I say, no, 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 Jesus is, is lying, that's the position I take then he must not be the son of God. I've got to buy the consequence that goes with that. So if you take the concept that says it makes no difference what you believe in religion, there are some absurd consequences that go with that. Like what? Direct opposite doctrines and practices are equal. If not, why not? The doctrine that says Jesus is the son of God is no better than the one that says he's not the Son of God because there are plenty of religious people who says he's not the Son of God. See, if it makes no difference what you believe, those two positions are equal. One's not any better than the other. And the first moment someone comes along and says, oh, no, 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 uh, no, no, no. You have to believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Then it makes a difference what you believe then, doesn't it? The doctrine that says the Bible is inspired and inerrant would be equal to the doctrine that says the Bible is chucked full of errors and it is not inspired of God, it's all the work of men. Both are religious, aren't they? See, it makes no difference what you believe. That doctrine is just as good as the Bible being inspired, the Word of God, it's inerrant. Oh, no, no, I think we've got to, well, then you, it makes a difference what you believe. 
The doctrine that says baptism is essential and the one that says it's not essential are equal. That miracles have ceased and miracles are still here are equal. One's no better than the other. So direct opposite and contradictory doctrines and practices are equal. One says we pray to Mary. Another says, no, I don't think you can pray to Mary. One's just as good as the other. If not, why not? If not, why not? Let's go further. It means we can do anything we want in religion. And I mean absolutely anything. Because if it makes no difference, I can make up my own faith. Because one faith is as good as another. Isn't that just as good as what you, you made up? Or what you say is in the Bible? In, in one faith is supposed to be as good as another, isn't it? And it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. As if I'm sincere and I've made up my own religion, why can't that work? A number of years ago, there was a church, I don't know if it's still in existence, that uh, it was out in the West somewhere. I don't remember exactly the location, but it was called the Church of Love. Sounds on the surface good. And it claimed to be a religion, claimed to be a church. But when they came together, they didn't come together to observe the Lord's Supper and sing. They came together and fornicated one with another in the name of religion. What's wrong with that? And the moment someone says, that's sin because, the, don't point to a standard. We just said now it makes a difference, doesn't it? Don't tell me it's immoral because you just pointed to a standard. If one faith is as good as another, what's wrong with that faith? Join the church of your choice. What if that's my choice? You say, that's absurd. That's the point. That's the point. It is absurd. Before I go to that one, I want to mention one that's not on the screen. If, one, if, if 50 people could have different faiths, follow this one with me for a moment. If it makes no difference what you believe, and one faith is as good as another, if 50 people could have different faiths, and that's great. You say, well, I don't know. Well, follow me now. If you had a group and there was 50 different faiths represented, someone would get up and say, isn't this wonderful? We have people of all different faiths. We have, we have Catholics, we have Jews, we have, uh, we have Protestants, and we have some Muslims, and we have Buddhists. We have all these different faiths. Isn't this wonderful? We have people of different faiths here. This is so great. If 50 people could have different faiths, and that's acceptable to God, why couldn't one person have 50 different faiths? Why couldn't he? What if I stood before you today and I told you I'm a Catholic, but I'm also a Jew, an Orthodox Jew, but I'm also a Muslim, and I'm, I'm also a Pentecostal. I'm of the church, UPC, and I'm also uh, of the uh, Presbyterian Church, and I'm also a free will Baptist. What would you think? You'd say, <laughs> you're crazy. You can't be all of that. Well, why can't I? Well, because they're contradictory. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you said they're contradictory, and, and I couldn't believe them all? Well, then how can 50 people believe contradictory things and all be acceptable to God? See, it was all right for those 50 people. Why isn't it all right for me? Wait a minute. Let's go further. If it makes no difference what you believe in religion, what does that give me, five? If it makes no difference what you believe in religion, it doesn't make any difference whether one believes or not. Then name me one thing I have to believe. You say, well, you have to believe in God. Okay, then it makes a difference, doesn't it? 
It really doesn't make any difference whether I believe. And if it doesn't make any difference whether one believes or not, it makes no difference whether I believe the Bible. If so, what the Bible says is unimportant then. And since God wrote the Bible, what God says is unimportant. Listen to me carefully. That doesn't border on that is blasphemy. When someone says it makes no difference what you believe, it's saying what's in the book of God doesn't matter. If I told you after you show me the National Electric Code, it makes no difference how you wire the house. I don't care what that book says. It doesn't make any difference. What I'm saying is that book is no count. And someone who says it makes no difference what you believe, they're saying this book is of no value. It is unimportant. That is blasphemy. Now, let's quickly review what we saw and draw a conclusion, and the lesson will be yours. Why do we believe it makes a difference? Because there is an objective standard in religion. Number two, because there is one faith. Number three, because it's possible to believe a lie and be lost, and one can be religious and be wrong, and because of these absurd consequences. Now, what does all that mean to us? I want to tell you, if, if, if this lesson is not true, we might as well close the meeting and go home because nothing else we're going to be talking about matters. I don't know why we're going to spend our wills on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday talking about issues that don't matter if it doesn't make a difference what you believe. Let's just close the doors and let's go home, send the tent back, and let's get rid. Let's just close everything because it does, if it doesn't make any difference, nothing else is going to matter. So what does this mean to us? If it makes a difference what you believe, then I need to study and know the truth. Jesus said, you should know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Just like if, if it makes a difference how you wire the house, I better get that book if I'm going to wire it myself and read the book and find out how you do it. I better find out. Secondly, I need to study and examine what I'm taught. They searched the scriptures, the Bereans did, to see if the things were so. In other words, Glenn tells me, I think you can wire it this way. I better check it by the book because he could be wrong. But the standard's going to be right, isn't it? So I need to study what some preacher has told me and not accept his word. And I need to prepare myself to tell others why. When they ask, well, why do you believe baptism is essential? Why do you believe miracles have ceased? That's what that means to us. It makes a difference what you believe in religion. And because that's true, then everything else is going to be important that we're going to be talking about. I appreciate your attention this morning.